Uh, this series, particularly that we're going through, talking about being passive, uh, talking about slowing down sometimes and not doing, uh, somehow can bring us closer to God. Is maybe a strange thought. And, and as we go through this, you'll say, some of these are really closely related. Some of these different things probably could be almost the same sermon, almost some of the same ideas. Um, it is hard sometimes to figure out where to cut off a sermon and, and how much to try to include um, or save material for a later date. Um, uh, on the other hand, I hate to be redundant and repetitive uh, if it's not necessary. So a lot of the things that we are uh, talking about in this series you will find to be synonymous. Uh, but uh, what we are doing is, and, and as we go, we'll give a little bit more specific application to some, some different um, areas. Uh, but they have, some also have different emotional sources or, or, or different connections. Uh, so uh, we talked about, um, or, or this week we're talking about yielding. And last week we talked about a similar theme when we talked about trust. They're, they're very closely connected. Uh, but um, I suppose in, uh, in looking at these, you probably couldn't do any one of these without a certain degree of doing the other. Right? Uh, it was hard to trust God unless you yield to him. So, so these are maybe just different points uh, of emphasis. But I want to talk today uh, about uh, two... Uh, two types of yielding that we're going to go through and then we'll kind of come back through and, and make some application. Uh, and the first one is control. Yielding control. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to begin here in, in Psalms chapter 46, verses 8 through 10. And he says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations upon the earth. That sounds nice. Uh, but he, and he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. And he breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. He says, be still. Now, and this is the one we know. Maybe we don't really think of the verses that lead up to it. He says, so be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And here is then a question. How can our activity hinder our knowledge that God is God? Because that's what he says. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, he's saying something about you being active uh, is hindering your knowledge that I am God. Activity, that, this is just a strange thought. I never really thought about it. He's addressing a problem that we have. We can get so active that we forget that God is God. How does that happen? How do we forget that God is God by doing something? Well... What else would our activity convince us of, if not that God is God? Well, let's look to our, our passage here. He's, he's talking about wars, and he's, he's talking about God defending his people. And God has defended this people. And, and you think of how tiny a nation this was, and is. And how God had defended it against mightier powers except for when he decided you know what i'm, I'm done defending you so now you're gonna you're gonna see what happens when a small nation doesn't have the protection of god but what what he's conveying to them is listen i'm the one who does this stuff for you 
And their activity, their military prowess, all of the, the things that they, they thought had convinced them, really, maybe they wouldn't have said it like this, but it convinced them that they were God. And that's what happens. In our activity, sometimes we think that we control the outcome. And that is a way of convincing yourself, though you would never say it, and I would never say it. The reality is that I convince myself on a regular basis that I'm God, or at least that I do the function of God, that I control the outcome of things, and I don't. And every once in a while, God has to say, I'm just going to step back for a moment and let you see what happens when I don't control the outcome. And then we're like, our world is upside down. And we have to be reminded that God is God. So he says, be still. Cease your activity. And this is the idea of being passive. Um, now, <clears throat> I, I say that, but I, I do want to look at another passage here. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when I say, I suppose what I, what I just said needs to have some, uh, some qualification. And that is that passive doesn't necessarily mean inactive. Sometimes we need, do need to stop. But, but Christ here does say, listen, I do have a burden. I do have things to do. It's just going to be relatively easy for you when we compare it to what you've been doing. And sometimes our activity and sometimes the things we're trying to accomplish are things that exhaust us. And we'll reference that a few times here today. We beat ourselves up trying to do things that are impossible. Why? Because we don't have the ability to control the outcomes. They're not the direction that God really wants to go. The Jews had exhausted themselves over thousands of years trying to earn their righteousness, trying to work the law. I've done these things from my youth, right? Look at the number of people that tried to earn their righteousness, and it exhausted them as a people. As a nation, collectively, and as individuals, they were exhausted trying to go through 615 commands and make sure they did everyone perfectly. And not only that, but then to add on to it, all the, all the added commentary that, that the, the, the various rabbis and people had added to it over, you know, a thousand years or whatever, or two thousand years... Of this, of this law. All the different things that, that they had to, their commentaries now had to be performed as well. You can't do this, you can't do that. They exhausted themselves. And it was impossible for them to fulfill the law. And it's not that Jesus is saying, don't do anything. Okay, we're done doing anything. But sometimes we need to hit the pause button. And he says, listen, this activity you need to cease. 
I'm going to give you something in replacement. It's going to be much lighter. So first thing in yielding is to give up control of things. Well, second thing about yielding is has to do with direction. It has to do with right of way. So we're going to wait for directions. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31 and you notice that these are, these are verses that, that we're well acquainted with, and, and maybe we've never put these together. But I, I think these are, these, sometimes these verses are so common to us that we don't go deep into them. We, we, these are verses we memorized, or we had you know, inspirational posters, or whatever you have had. Like, they're inspirational thoughts, and sometimes we don't go deep into what the meaning of it is. Sometimes... The real meaning is, is maybe less nice than what we would, we'd want. But Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, he says, Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's just like that idea. Be still and know that I'm God. Uh, he begins here with the definition of who he is. I'm the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint. He doesn't get tired. His understanding is unsearchable. So he's going to connect this to information. He says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Again, the same idea of, of come to me, you are weary. But youths will faint and be weary and young men will fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not get faint. And we know the last part of that. We've memorized that. We've heard that. And sometimes we need to wait. And this picks up where, really where we left off. Exhaustion. Not necessarily from just merely activity, but what kind of activity. He says, he talks about his understanding is unsearchable. And there's a, there's a degree of our activity that causes exhaustion when we are misdirected. In other words, aimlessness... <laughs> can cause you to spend a lot of extra energy than you would not have needed to do had you known the right path ahead of time. <coughs> We've all been there. Literally, metaphorically. Right? Uh, you, you're doing a task and you, you, you're trying to do it and you're like, oh man, if I would have only known this, I would have saved myself a lot of effort of hauling this here or doing this and like... Oh my goodness, how much did I end up doing that I didn't really need to do? All oh, been there. If you would have waited sometimes, if you would have just waited and thought something through, or, or, or maybe someone had the piece of information. Maybe you're waiting on a boss, and then the boss isn't there, you don't have contact with what, what do I do? I'm just going to do something. I need to do this. I need to get it done. Uh, I remember... It was funny, uh, the, uh, I was working uh, as a, for a contractor, and we had the uh, OSHA thing that we had to go through. And um, it was, so we had this guy, he was like the, one of the, the Vermont OSHA inspectors. 
and uh, he, he, he showed some photos of just work scenes in Vermont that he had come up upon. And uh, so, very rural state. And so this guy said, uh, he, uh, he comes up on this scene, and it was a pickup truck, and they, they had like two by four ladder. Like they built a frame, and they made their own ladder to get up to this change. They had to change the light, uh, like a street light. And he's like, I walked up to him, but not too loud, because I didn't want to disturb them. And he's like, excuse me, can you come down here for a second? <laughs> and i uh, got a little question for you. Uh, just take your time. And so they gets down, and he says, uh, just can you explain this to me? I, I, I'm really interested. Well, they're like, oh, we... Uh, because it's so rural, that, that where they kept their service vehicles for that light, the, 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 uh, the public works or whatever, it was, it was like over an hour away. And so it's like, we had to go get it and then come back with this vehicle, and we just thought we'd do this. And, and the guy says, so this was your answer. He's like, can I ask you a question? He's like, how long did it take you to build this thing? <laughs> About three hours. <laughs> they had to go get lumber, they had to come back and build it and set this up and carefully climb up the things like I said, you, you end up spending more time than it would have taken you to drive back, get the correct vehicle, and do this the right way. There wasn't really a well thought out plan now, was it? Now you're getting a fine on top of that. If they would have just been a little bit more patient, if they would just waited thought things through. They would have been a lot better off, and that's the way with us. Just, just wait. And in time, sometimes things reveal themselves the way God wants things to work. Not always. Not always, I should say, in our time. And it doesn't always come miraculously. And we'll get to that in just a second. But sometimes we need to wait. Let me give you a, a different illustration <clears throat> what you are looking at is a staircase. That's not me. That, this is a, a staircase uh, in Nicopole. It's a very famous staircase, at least to a few people in this room. Uh, where you're looking at uh, is right about there. And, and, and a, a person who was with us who happened to be about five years old at the time you can tell the condition of this. It was wintertime, and, uh, and no rail, nice and safe. Uh, uh, I, I was walking up the stairs, and, and I had a five-year-old in tow. I took a left to go to the bus stop, and, uh, and the person behind me was also looking very carefully at the stairs to make sure that they didn't fall, I'm both looking down, and he went straight. And I didn't know it until I was about here, and, uh, and that, that boy was right about there. And then we both got really nervous, so I started yelling. Well, you see all those buildings and a lot of echoes, and he had no idea where I was yelling from. So he ran straight. Now, you see all that big bunch of buildings up there? That's an open market. That's like what you think of an open market, like 
pig's heads and all that stuff, right? That, that, that's what that is. Anything you want. And he ran into there. And I'm running all around here. That was a long day. We found him at an orphanage finally because somebody we know knew someone in the police and was able to communicate. Let me tell you another story. We'll, we'll make these stories. Let me show you. This is Berlin. A few years later. We ate at a restaurant. I probably shared this some years ago. We ate at a restaurant, oh, say, right about where that big tree right there is. And, uh, and after eating lunch there, uh, Checkpoint Charlie's about straight north of there. Uh, we were going to go to Checkpoint Charlie, so we went around the curve, and uh, <clears throat> I had a headache that, and so, so there was a, there's a little building right there, that little brown short building, uh, and so that's a pharmacy. I went into that pharmacy, and outside, this is a picture taken over here on the right uh, in the wintertime, so you, you don't see what this actually looks like in the summer, uh, but in the summer, that's another open market, <laughs> me and open markets and our kids. Uh, and, and so another one of our kids, who happened to be about four years old at the time, got separated. Uh, and uh, mad dash. Uh, I, I draw your attention to between those two buildings, that little square. The reason I, I have this photo over there is that's what that square is. That is a subway entry. Uh, Aunt, uh, Julian was about, uh, about four years old when we lost him in Berlin. <laughs> We actually lost them twice in Berlin, but the first one was only about 45 seconds. This was a little bit longer. And uh, scared to death that he went down in there. Like, you know, like, oh, we're never going to see Julian again. Well, we apparently found him. So you know the end of the story. Well, you know the other end of the story because we found Benjamin also. But um, <laughs> this is not a great metaphor for my parenting skills. But uh, maybe, maybe some give these to you a little bit at a time. But... Uh, so we enlisted the help of a bunch of people in the area who immediately started looking for Julian. And we found Julian. It didn't take all day. It took about 15 minutes at the most. Someone just started going to the neighborhood. And, and, and Julian went right back there and sat down at the cafe where we ate. Just sat down. Smart kid. Four years old, went to what he knew, what looked familiar, and waited. And he was found. And we, we can do this thing where we run around and, and, and spend all our energy, and what we do, we end up getting more and more and more lost. It seems right. It seems like I'm going to make a mad dash and run all over the place and try to find my son. And I'm going further and further away. And God says, sometimes you've got to wait for me to be found by me. We need to yield our direction. Psalms 127, 1 through 5 says, Unless the Lord build a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, 
The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Children are a heritage from the Lord. A fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of the warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What in the world is this? These are some strange verses to throw together. We have, we, have, uh, we have two thoughts. It's a short psalm. It's one psalm. And what in the world? We've memorized the first one. Unless the Lord build the house. The, we, we know that. And you probably never connected that with another with the end of this. What in the world does this have to do with? Let me explain this as best as I can. This is a specific application of a broader principle. People have so much emphasis on labor and on, on the things that, that these buy. And all this, they exhaust themselves for stuff. And David's just like, you know what, what, the, most, what the most valuable things are? His family. People exhaust themselves for stuff that is less valuable. That's his specific application to this. It's much broader than that. They devalue. But the principle has a broader application. He says, if the Lord build a house. Think about this. If the Lord builds a house, why does he need laborers? He says, if the Lord builds a house, the workers labor in vain. Well, what are they needed for? I think it was kind of a, 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 a similar metaphor would be like, think of in this picture that the Lord is a contractor. Right? Yeah, a lead contractor does not swing a hammer. Not if he's a, a, not if he's a good businessman, right? He might show up, he might figure stuff, but he wears a white shirt. He doesn't swing the hammer. But he directs people. God wants laborers. But in the end, he's the contractor. He comes up with the design. He comes up with the, the way to accomplish this. Good intentions nullify my hard work. Doesn't make a difference. If the, if the laborers come up, this is what the idea is, if the laborers come up with their idea, we have a question about this. Let's just do something. I don't know. Let's be active again. And the contractor comes up and says, these aren't the materials I, I, I want. This is not the way we build in this company. Whatever the thing is. If it's not per the desire of the contractor, they have done everything for no reason. They've spent a massive amount of energy and time spent money doing things that are purposeless. Now, David just applies this to one area where people spend all their time and all their effort, where God really couldn't care less about your toys and about all the stuff that humans think are so important. Because I kind of, in the beginning, I designed family. That's the, that's the thing I made 
whatever it is that we devalue in preference for the things we like. God says, you are wasting your time. You are exhausting yourself, and for what? A little direction goes a long way. And so I want to talk about getting closer through yielding. The answer is obvious. Right? You need to merge with what he wants. That's how you get closer by yielding. Because th- th- that, it sounds weird. I could get closer by stopping. And that doesn't seem to move me anywhere. Well, it does. Eventually. First thing I say, don't force it. This is an interesting passage. We, we went through this in, in, uh, when we went through Daniel uh, a few years ago. I'll read the whole thing so we don't just take the one verse. The king of the south, moved with rage, will come out and fight against the king of the north. He will raise a great multitude, and it will be given to his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart will be exalted. He will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will will raise another multitude greater than the first one. And after some years, he will come in with a great army and abundant supplies. And in those times, many will rise against the king of the south. And the violent among your own people will lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will fail. Now... What in the world is this? Okay, so, so this, this passage in Daniel is a series of, of prophecies about what was going to happen between two of the lines of succession from Alexander the Great. Uh, the Seleucids who ruled from Syria and, and the Ptolemies who ruled from Egypt. And, and, and that borderline right between the two kind of cuts right through Israel. So, so they, had the, they bore the brunt of these wars between these lines of kings. And there's a long line. And this one attacked this one, and this one attacked this one. And Israel was right in the middle all the time. That's important. And so, so this is about this specific one. It is, about a, it is, a, is a reference to a, a guy who was, after Daniel wrote this, about, about 400 years later, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who is uh, from ruled in Syria, and he was attacking one of the many, 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 many Ptolemies, right? And, and he was very successful. He had destroyed a lot of stuff, and it talks about killing tens of thousands of people. He was murderous human being. And, uh, and on and, and numerous occasions, he stripped stuff from the temple, and, uh, and when they tried to rebel, this is during the period of the Maccabees, uh, they had a little success, and then one time he'd come in and he just wiped people out. He just murdered a massive amount of people in, in Judea. Uh, who could stop a guy like this? Well, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe him out with an army from Egypt. Ptolemies are finally going to have success against this guy. They hadn't to this point, or had very few successes. That's the background. But he says, this is the point I want to make. He says, they were so tired of it. And, and, and God has given a prophecy that he was going to cause this, this Antiochus guy to be defeated. Eventually. And he says, there's going to be people of your own group, your Jews, that are going to rise up and try to force the vision to be fulfilled before God is ready. They're going to fail. They were so ready to be 
done with this guy. That they're like, you know what? God is going to get rid of him, so let's do it now. Let's make the vision happen now. You can't force the vision. Don't try to force the vision. And in the end, those, those people became parts of that tens of thousands that were murdered. You can't force things. You can't force people to live the way you want. You can't force people to make decisions. You can't force things. It goes back to that control thing. This is merging. This is yielding with God. Doing what you can do, but understanding that that God gives increase. All those different areas and avenues, you can apply this to so many things that sometimes we just need to merge with what God wants. Do what we can do and leave the rest Leave the completion of a thing to God. And the other one, and I hesitate to use this, but um, I'm going to talk about waiting for clarity. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, he says, uh, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, Mithi- uh, Mysia, they went to Troas. There a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him to saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, let me explain why I say caution and hesitation. I don't like to appropriate this verse for, for certain things because it's obvious what this is talking about, and it doesn't apply to me specifically. I can make application, but but I need to be cautious in doing so. I do not get messages from God. Paul got specific messages from God to not do a thing. Now, I find it interesting here that, that Paul was not apparently inspired 24 hours a day. Paul had an idea. I was wrong. Paul. Now, I, I did hear a camp sermon one time uh, in which the guy, uh, the, the message, I was, I was fairly young at the time and I still remember it, he, he, he said, uh, uh, I forget how he phrased it, but it was something like, uh, our first is God's second or something like that. And he was trying to basically say that our first, our first option is often one to be ignored. And, and, and God's going to have something come along later. It was such a horrific sermon. Unfortunately, he didn't stay the whole week that, uh, that they had to redo the schedule and have someone else preach a sermon to... Like, basically retract that sermon. Um, and, and that preacher pointed out, he says, actually, if, if we wanted to be accurate, he said, um, God's first was Paul's third. So, I mean, <laughs> God's plan was actually not Paul's first one, not his second one, but it, but it was the third thing that Paul ended up doing. So, so if we were going to make direct application, we would have to ignore the first two things that come to our mind and do the third. That would be dumb, Right. That, that was a, a very bad app. That's why I say I hesitate to use this in any more than a, a general kind of a concept. That we do need to wait for clarity sometimes. It does not. Uh, we, Paul was not criticized for trying to do a thing. Nowhere does this insinuate that Paul was wrong in trying to go to Bithynia in terms of morally speaking. That he was doing something bad and trying to do what he thought that he should do, or wherever. It's just, he needed to wait for clarity. Sometimes, 
And this is what I want to leave you. Sometimes we just need to maintain a holding pattern. Now, maybe, maybe things are very clear to you right now. And this doesn't apply to you. Like, just there, there are times in life where, where things make sense. And sometimes they don't make sense. And I think we've all been in both. And I mean spiritually, not just, just in general. But I mean, I mean spiritually, like I have a direction, I have a thing I'm doing. And it's, it's, it works. Right up until you go, ah, I don't know. And sometimes you just need to hold. I'll use one more illustration from our family. This happened within the last year. It's not someone getting lost. Um, when we moved back, one of the things that, that, that Katie started doing was to, um, she cleaned houses. She'd done that when we lived here before moving to Ukraine, and she like, picked it up. One of the things she always liked about it was that she was her own boss, and she could talk with clients about God, and, and she did. She started a lot of conversation, developed relationships. And something that started to happen about a year ago was that they started, these conversations started to close off. People didn't want to talk about God. People didn't, like, they just set their borders. And it, all of a sudden, what seemed like this, you know, uh, it seemed like it was going well. And, and now... Those conversations, I mean, they're still nice, they're still friends, whatever, but they were gone. That was a year ago. Or maybe more. And she just kept working. Oh, in January, an opportunity to do something different came along. Sometimes you just hold the pattern until some God goes, all right, now I'm ready for you to do a thing. This is what you needed. You needed to do this. And she was trying this. And she was going to do this. And, 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 but just maintaining a general holding pattern. And sometimes you go, oh, this is the thing. And God says, there you have it. Not that he sends a message and goes, this is what I want you to do now. I, I don't get those messages. That would be great if I did. And I, know, I don't get those. But sometimes it's, oh, this is where these talents come in. This is where these things happen. When those opportunities come, take those opportunities. Move. And then th- these are the mo- those moments where you live in something where you go, it feels like I have direction. Don't worry, there's a moment coming where you're not going to have direction again. It depends. It's human life. We do that. But in those moments, in, in those opportunities, work that opportunity. Until it closes itself off, until God closes that door, until the Bible says there was a window of opportunity, there was a door, open door for, for effective service. All these, all these different references, they're opportunities. They, they don't last forever. You've never had anything that worked forever. There will be a moment where the, like, whatever you're doing, it's, eh. it was, this was going great a year ago. Yeah, you're human. It's going to close itself off. And be in a holding pattern until God says, okay, now you're ready for this. And that's life. Maintain a holding pattern. But to do so, we have to yield control. I can't force things to happen. I can't force things before God is ready for me to have them. Whatever it is I need to learn, 
whatever trait I need to develop, a self-control, a, a habit, whatever it is. God says, you're not quite there yet. When you're ready for it, you'll recognize it. Fair. Let's stand and say